Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we talked about you. We've sung about you. We've thought about you. And that's because you are the central part of our faith. There is no faith without you. So this morning we open up the Holy Scriptures that the Holy Spirit inspired to be written. We believe this to be the Word, the very Word of God, the anointed, inspired, God-breathed Word of God. We also believe that by the ministry of your Holy Spirit, we can grasp the content and the intent of these passages. So I pray today that you would open up every one of our minds and hearts and ears and open our eyes. Lord, I pray that somebody's eyes get open today, that we could see what we didn't see before, and it would amaze us. So I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, whom we worship, amen, amen. We're, we're, this week it was really hard for me to come up with a title. <clears throat> Last week the title was Overcoming Evil with Good. And so this, t- this week I decided on Overcoming Evil with Good, Part 2. <laughs> we're, still, we're still talking about, is, is that slide up there, Megan? Do I have that title slide or whoever's doing it? Oh, Aiden. Hey, that Megan's not doing it. Nevertheless, we're still talking about the impact of the church in the culture. We'll, we'll probably be talking about that some more. The kingdom of God is at hand, and it was at hand upon the arrival of the Lord Jesus. Mark, if you're taking notes, Mark 1.14, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And it became at hand, it became near, it became accessible when Jesus arrived on the scene. He went about preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. It was his central message. He said one place, I must go to other cities to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, and Sean has referenced this this morning, is the the kingdom of light in the midst of a society of darkness. When Jesus arrived, he brought light in the midst of a very dark dark culture. I'm not going to go into all the... But what was going on at that time and what 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 leadership looked like was dark. It was darkness. And Jesus arrived as bringing with him the kingdom of light. Now, I must add here, when we talk about the kingdom of God in the earth, there's a phrase that theologians like to use, and I like to use, and it's called already, but not yet. And what does that mean? What that means is that Jesus, when Jesus arrived, the kingdom of God was accessible. The only person at that time who had 100% accessibility to all that the kingdom was and is, was Jesus Christ. And because we're fallen creatures and because we're a fallen race of people, we don't see 100% fulfillment of the kingdom of God, and we won't see it until the end, 
until the end. There will be a consummation of the fullness of the kingdom of God that Jesus prayed for. In the meantime, it's already here, but not yet. It's already here, but the fullness is not yet. So let's enjoy the already here. There's enough of the kingdom of God here now to affect our lives. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. Who's going to build their church? Whose church is it? I will build my church, and the gates or the authority of hell will not prevail against it. So don't spend one minute worrying about the demise of God's church. He said that's not going to happen. I will build my church, and church is a word, ecclesia, that means the called out ones. Those who've been called out of that darkness we talked about into light. This, this group of people, and we studied this a few weeks ago, we are being built together as the called out ones. We're being built together as a spiritual house. We are living stones. You'll remember we talked about that. We are an assembled collective of Holy Spirit-filled, called-out ones, put together as living stones called the church. We talked about the fact that the, how many churches are there in Middle Tennessee, and we answered the question, there's only one. There are many local expressions of that church in Middle Tennessee, but there's only one church in Tennessee, there's only one church in America, and there's only one church in the world. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Many expressions, but one church. The church upon Jesus' ascension assumed the earthly mission of Christ upon his departure. He said, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving it with you. I'm going back, but here's the mission. He told, he said, I'm calling a meeting, guys. Go to Galilee. Meet me at Galilee. Here's what I want you to, here's, I'm leaving, but all authority has been given to me, heaven and earth. And what I'm saying to you is now, now I'm leaving. Go make disciples of all, all nations. Go make disciples. His body, the church on earth, is governed by Christ, the head. Christ is still the head of the church, and we're here on earth as his body. Which means, and Jesus said this, his church is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The church, you, me, not you and me individually necessarily, but the church is. God has taken out his cosmic salt shaker, and he sprinkled earth. And you were the result. You were the result. Salt not only causes something to be palatable, but salt preserves. I'm saying all of this to make sure we remember the importance of the impact of the church in the earth. Everybody say, we're the church. See, we're not all the church. But we're the church. Those of you watching online, you're the church, assuming you've been born again. 
Which brings us to, back to Romans 12. If you'll turn with me to Romans 12. Because if we are the church, and we are, if we're going to make an impact, and we will, we must understand how we relate to one another. Lord, help me. Y'all got an hour and a half. <laughs> I know some people, and you said no. I'm not going to do that. Oh, I ought to start my timer, though. <laughs> you know what it means when the pastor starts his timer, don't you? Absolutely nothing. Romans 12, and I'm just going to start reading today, starting in verse 9. If you would stand with me while we read the sacred scriptures. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to read on, but that's as far as I'm going to teach today, so I'll give you some hope. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who, by the way, you have a warning. Next week we'll deal with this. So if you're not here, I know why. <laughs> rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And again, our title, Do Not Be Overcome by Evil, But Overcome Evil with good. You can be seated. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We just read a synopsis, not exhaustive synopsis, but we just read a synopsis of what good looks like. Now, let me just, first of all, let me talk about context. In the context, this passage is in the context of body ministry. If you go back and read prior verses, He's talking to the body. Remember, he said, all of you have gifts that differ. Now, let's use your gifts to build up the body. So it's in the context of the church ministering to the church. I also want to say this. As we go through these verses, this is not, listen, I'm sounding like Charles Stanley now. Listen now. This is not a self-help checklist. Because we, we could, in the natural, we could read these verses and, and start doing, the, oh yeah, I can do that, oh yeah, I can do that. Let me tell, I'm going to quote you from the King James Version that says this, and I don't often do this. I will look to the hills from whence cometh my... So where does our help come from? It doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from the hills, obviously. The inference there is that's God Almighty. Self-help is contradiction in terms. You can't help yourself. 
you can, you, you really should change that to say self-choice. Because God will meet you at the point of your choice, but you can't do it on your own. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't strain and, gr- and grunt until you get it right, except the power of the Holy Spirit helps you. This is not a self-help checklist. This is the inspired Word of God that can only be actualized by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we must remember that. So how do we gain these virtues? That is by fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, by praying, meditating, worshiping, allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to work through us. We, have, we make that choice. And once again, if we're going to make this impact in the earth as the church, if we're going to influence people, if we're going to keep filling up baptistries with human beings, Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, no other you know, I, I joked a few weeks ago that you know you, a lot of people think that the people are going to know we're his disciples by that we go to church every Sunday, or that we don't say bad words. And I saw some of you say I'd be in trouble right there. Anyway, <laughs> or you know, just the list goes on. We have all of these these ideas about how we're going to communicate to the church, I mean, to the world, the good news of Jesus Christ. But Jesus told us what it is. If we have godly, agape love for one another, which we dealt with last Sunday, by the way, then that's how they're going to know. And here we are fighting over church members and fighting over territories and fighting over everything we can find to fight over, and the world's looking at the church thinking, what's wrong with you guys? I I got that already. I don't need that. Real, let me just tell you this, is Real relationships and real friendships will be challenged. If you, have, if, you, if you have a relationship that has never been challenged, you don't really have a relationship. Not yet. Already, but not yet. Until your faith has been tested, you don't really know what you got. When God allows your faith to be tested and allows the challenges to come, it's not because he's wondering what you're made of. He wants you to know what you're made of. He wasn't worried about where Adam and Eve were. He knew where they were when he said, where are you? He wanted them to know where they were. They were in a mess. So if you have real relationships and they get challenged, don't be surprised. Peter said, don't be surprised with the fiery trial. It's coming. It's coming. So well, I hadn't had a fiery trial lately. Well, you got a great thing to look forward to. <laughs> Genuine love, we talked about again last week, is marked by the succeeding virtues that we'll talk about today. <laughs> that was my introduction. Somebody said, better turn the stuff. Anyway, let's just go through them. I don't want to spend a lot of time on any of these, but I just I want to see the picture, not just in not a checklist. I do not want us to make a checklist here. But he says, he says, despise evil. 
and hold on to what is good. Despise evil. If we're going to overcome evil with good, we must, we make, must make a choice to despise evil. What is evil? Evil is whatever is useless. Evil is whatever is destructive. Evil is whatever is injurious to us. Evil is that which will not produce in our lives. That's evil. It doesn't have to be demons and witches and sorcery and all that stuff. That's evil. But that's not the only thing that's evil. You, if you choose what seems to be good things to occupy your life, and yet they're not, product, they're not producing in your life, then that's evil. Hate what is evil. And then he said, hold on to what is good. That good is that which being in its character is beneficial in its effect. It's beneficial. In the context of our passage, then the, the benefit is for the, of others, the benefiting other people. That when you, when you have agape love towards someone, the result is that you have their benefit in interest. What is best for them? It's not always giving them stuff, as we'll see in a moment. Then he said, be devoted in brotherly love. Last week we dealt with agape. Many of you know that the Greek word for brotherly love is Philadelphia, which is why they call that place the city of brotherly love. But as I understand it, that's a misnomer. <laughs> Two words there. Filio, which is a word that it does have feeling and emotion to it. So having filio for the Adelphia is to have tender affection for the brotherhood. There is a tender affection. There is, a, there is a, an affinity that we have for brothers and sisters. And while the word there is used brotherhood, that really means it's not really a gender-specific thing. It means a redeemed community based on identity of origin of life. We're together because we have the same life. We, we're together because when you were born from above by the Spirit of God, the person next to you or on the other side of the room was born by the same Spirit with the same life. Every one of us have the same life flowing within our lungs and our in the DNA of our, who we are. By the work of the Holy Spirit, again... We develop this fondness, this tenderness, and this affection towards one another. You don't just, you don't just flip a switch and decide you're going to have brotherly love for somebody. It's got to be God's Holy Spirit. Let me, let me, let me enter, uh, stick this in here. Vulnerability is a requirement for you to experience a satisfying relationship with someone. If you've always got a wall up, if, you've got, if you're protecting yourself from being harmed, you will not enjoy the fullness of that relationship, whether it be a marital relationship, whether it be friendship, brother, sister, no matter what it is. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be willing to be hurt if you're going to gain all the value of a relationship. And then someone's thinking, well, then I don't want any relationships. But see, that's just running. That's the ostrich. We have to be vulnerable. No protective barrier and no wall. Thirdly, he said, lead the way in honor. 
The ESV says, outdo one another in honor. And that's kind of what the word means in the, in the context. Honor is, it just means to honor someone or something. It means to recognize the value of the object and to deem it precious because of that value. Honor has to do with value. It does not have to do with perfection. It does not have to do with of a completeness or maturity. It doesn't have anything to do with always being right. That's why the Bible can say, honor your father and mother. And you may have a father and or a mother that are not the best. I talk to many people that grew up in abusive relationships. Well, you don't honor them because of that. You honor them because of God. How can that be? If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And by the way, that's, if you're listening online, I mean audio, that's, I'm quoting Jesus. Just to be clear. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will also be. And if anyone serves me, watch this, my Father will honor him. The Father places value on those who serve the Son. And so should we. Let me ask you a question. Would you, would you want to be accused of dishonoring what God honors? He said, but they're bad people. They're mean to me. Would you want to be accused of dishonoring what God honors? Or would you want to be accused of devaluing what God considers valuable. And I, want, I just want to let you know something today. Every human being that God created, He sees value in them. No matter how far they've strayed off the path, no matter how far away they've gone from where you think they should be, if there's still intrinsic value because God took the time to create them and place them on the earth. Most weeks I'm writing birthday cards to you folks. If you hadn't gotten a birthday card from me, that's because I don't like you. <laughs> Actually what that means is you haven't given us your information. Many times in those cards I'm writing celebrate the day that God's wisdom and good choice was revealed. You might not feel that way, but God sees you a different way. He sees you with value. Okay, moving right along. Be diligent. You say, what is all this? See, we're talking about our relationship with God's people in the context. Be diligent and not lazy. I could have skipped over that one. The King James Version there says, do not be slothful in business, which is not that far away from the truth. I'll give you the Granger translation. You won't find this on Amazon. Do not be lazy, but rather be diligent. And maintain your spiritual fervor, looking for every opportunity to serve both God and his kids. 
For let's face it, how do we serve God? Somebody said, I'm only going to serve God. Years ago when, when people were debating whether you should tithe, and somebody said, well, I'm only going to give my tithe to God. And somebody said, well, what are you going to do? Throw it up in the air and whatever comes back down, you're going to keep? Let God get what he wants? The way you serve God is to serve his kids. Serve his people. Serve one another. That's how you serve God. Proverbs 12:11 says, A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. New Living Translation. Now, we, we always joke about this verse in, in Ephesians 4.28 that talks about if, you, if someone steals, let them steal no longer, and you move the comma, and they said, let a, them who steal, steal. I'll give it to you another version. If you are a thief, quit stealing. <laughs> now, we read that, and we, we, I read that for years until I realized what he's saying, what the con. Think about the context. If you go back and read Ephesians 4, the context tells us this. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. People, people need what you have, not just your material possessions, but people need what you have, and when you don't supply that, you're stealing. Did he just call me a thief? Yeah, I think he did. If you're, if you're not providing the resources that you have. And again, I'm not talking about just money. I'll get to that. Because productivity is the means by which we supply the body. He said rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. Hope is that which God has spoken and promised us. Hope is that which we hold on to and embrace. It's the motivation to keep on keeping on. Hope is what gets you up to in the morning. Hope is what puts your feet on the floor. Hope is what moves you about your day because if you have no hope, you're going to be depressed. You're going to have no motivation to do what you should be doing. Hope. And hope comes from God. It's not just, I hope this happens. Hope comes from God. And Hebrews 11 teaches us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is what causes our hope to be solidified when we believe him. Three lessons that we would learn. I'm not going to turn from Romans 15, if you're taking notes, 1 through 4. First of all, we are able to encourage each other to hope by rejoicing in our own hope. You rejoice in your hope. You say, well, I don't have any hope. Are you going to heaven? Now, you know, we talked yesterday at Johnny's memorial service that everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Loretta Lynn wrote that song. Well, we're all going to heaven. You're going, you have a hope. Outside of this world, you have an eternal hope that has nothing to do with this temporal world. Now, I'm not ready to go tonight. That's the Lord's business. Well, I'm ready, but I'm not hankering to. Let's say it that way. <laughs> but you've got hope. 
You, I mean, I, can't, I go down the list. I mean, you can go down the list. The hope that you have, because you were once lost, but now you're found. You once could not see, but now you can see. I mean, just, y'all know what I'm talking about. Secondly, we can rejoice in other people's hope, and thus we strengthen ours. Isn't it great when God, you see God do something for somebody, and they've got something of substance they can hold on to, and you say, boy, that encourages me. And thirdly, one major benefit, and this comes from Romans, of the Scriptures is the examples of the hope of many saints coming into fruition. He said that. This is, why we, this is why we have the Scriptures. So you can read the Scriptures and be encouraged by what happened to the saints of old and their hope that they had. You're not going to help your brother and sister very much if you're living without hope. He said endure tribulation. Well, you can skip that one too. Endure tribulation. Tribulation is a word that just means, it means pressure. You know, like it's a real pressure to be here. It means a pressing together. Think uh, an old chunk of coal becoming a diamond. Pressure. It's suffering due to the pressure of circumstances. Jesus made us a promise. He made several promises. But one of the promises he made to us is this. In the world... You will, everybody say will, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will, not you might, you may, it could be, you will have tribulation. You will be pressed. You will experience pressure from circumstances. I, You know, as Justin uh, Wilson used to say, and I can't say it the way he said it, but he said, I guarantee, except he put a little explicative in there. You will experience tribulation. But Jesus said, take heart. I have overcome the world. And because he has overcome the world, we overcome the world. Tribulation and pressure and difficulties and challenges do not have to defeat you. You can overcome. Matter of fact, you should. Paul told the elders of Ephesus, Acts 14.22, he said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. We must enter the kingdom of God. And then I got three things regarding enduring with patience. First of all, our willingness to not run from pressure, but abide through it, enables the Holy Spirit to use that pressure to shape us into the image of the Messiah. We want to run from difficulty. We want to run from challenges. We want to run from whatever puts pressure on us. But do you want to stay an old chunk of coal? You'd be pretty ugly. By enduring with patience, we make it easier for those around us to be with us. (laughs) Barney Fife is going to show Opie what it looks like when someone loses their control, loses their, because he's going to act like he didn't get a pay raise that he wanted, and he was going to, because Opie didn't get his medal. If y'all ever, y'all never watched Opie gets his medal, 
By the way, fathers, this is a great episode to sit down with your children and teach them. It's a great lesson. But Barney's trying to teach Opie by showing him what it looks like when you, when you don't behave. And so Barney comes in and Opie's in the office with his dad. Barney starts throwing things all over the place, knocking things over, kicking the wall, throwing his hat, everything, just pitching a fit. And Opie goes to walk out the door, and he said, where are you going? He said, I'm getting out of here. You're a sight. <laughs> if, we don't, if we can't handle the pressure, nobody's going to want to be around us. I used to play golf with a guy, not going to mention his name. And we would be playing golf, and he'd hit a bad shot, and he'd scream and yell and throw clubs. I mean, just on and on. And finally, I told him one day, I said, I'm never playing golf with you again. And I didn't. Because he couldn't do anything but pitch fits. I mean, shoot, if I pitched a fit every time I hit a bad shot, okay, let's go keep on. <laughs> By not allowing the pressure of circumstances to impede us, we are able to continue supplying one another. Don't allow, don't allow the pressure. This is, you know, this is easier for me to say than to do. But by not allowing the pressure that's squeezing us to impede us and to derail us and to obstruct us, we can continue supplying to our brothers and sisters. Again, context. He said, be faithfully constant in prayer. By the way, this follows the verse about being patient in tribulation and suffering. Go figure. Be patient in tribulation and suffering. Oh, and you might want to pray. Yeah, right. You might want to. You might better. And the other part of that is, is that tribulation, difficulties, challenges, they will drive you to prayer. Someone said, as long as they're giving tests... There will always be prayer in schools. Because you, you, it drives you to it. Let's face it, when everything's going really good, every, every, really great, do we have a burning desire to go to God in prayer? Well, I hope you do, but I know that many of us who are made of tabernacle of clay have a difficulty with that. But let something difficult happen. Let something that makes your stomach in knots happen. Well, you're going to just take you to the throne of God. Be faithful in prayer. If we're to have an effective relationship with our Father, now this is, it took me years of studying and digging and, and uh, learning theology to get this down. But listen, if we're to have an effective relationship with the Father, it is necessary for us to talk to Him and listen to Him. It's so simple, and yet, how many of us do it enough? Talk to God. Now here, let me just remind you, prayer is more than me telling God what I want Him to do for me. That's part of it. He said, offer your petitions. Prayer is me talking to God, but it's just as much, if not more, God talking to me. And if we are faithful in prayer, if we're faithful in being before the throne of God, here you go, context, 
we stand in the gap for one another. We stand in the gap. So I need prayer. This is happening. I need someone. We stand in the gap. Paul writes, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. By the way, I, we, I'm like Paul. I wish you all prayed in tongues. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So well, how, can I, how can I bless my brother and sister? Well, if you don't do anything else, do that right there. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Number eight, contribute to the needs of the saints. I knew he was going to get to money. He can't. Anyway. <laughs> going to surprise you maybe, but one byproduct of our fellowshipping with the people that God has placed us with is that we share what he has chosen to entrust us with. If God has blessed you and given you something, again, we'll come back, but then we should be ready to share that with other people. I've told you this before, but I'm going to say it again. He purposely allows gaps in our lives that can only be filled with something that someone else has. Well, I, I got this. No, you don't. Somebody else has got this. And you got something they need. What, what do we share with the saints? What do we contribute to the needs of the saints? Well, sometimes it's just words. He said, don't let any unwholesome talk out of your mouths. We can all say, oh, me. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Sometimes your brother or sister just needs an encouraging word from you, a word that would encourage them and build them up, contribute to the needs that they have. Matthew, uh, Luke six thirty eight. we learn Jesus that mercy and goodness is what we can minister to other people. Mercy and goodness. Sometimes people just need mercy. Yep, they're guilty. Yes, they were wrong. But sometimes we just offer mercy and goodness to that person. And then there is the issue of material needs. Sometimes somebody just needs a sandwich. Sometimes somebody just needs some help financially. And you say, you know, I got $10, they got none, I can give them some, and I still got some. Or you may say, I'll give them all my money. I've seen that happen. Now, let me just add this in real quick. This is not funding irresponsibility. This is not the financing of laziness. This is the contributing to the needs of the saints that are legitimate. And you have to make that decision yourself. But I wanted us to see that when we contribute to the needs of the saints, it's not all money. There's many needs that saints have, but money is part of it. Not just money, but possessions. You know, you may have two couches and they have none. You give one of your couches, everybody's good. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. 
faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. 1 Peter 4.10. And then we'll finish here. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Hospitality is a word that simply means loving a stranger or a guest. Loving a stranger. One of the older definitions for the word hospital is a place of refuge for travelers or pilgrims. It was a place for someone away from home traveling that they could find this place either to rest or to find healing, whatever be the case. Some people you know, some people you know need a hospital. Now they don't need Vanderbilt or St. Thomas necessarily. They need you to be their hospital. And by the way, this doesn't always have to take place in your home, although that's a good place many times. But they need some kind of hospitality. They need you to be hospitable. Hospitality is true anointment for a weary soul. How how does it make you feel when someone invites you into their world, whether it be their home, most of the time it is, invites you into their world? Brother Francis, I'm going to talk about Ernie a minute. Ernie Whitaker told me one time, he said, a man's house is his castle. This is, this is his castle. When someone invites you into their castle, how does that make you feel? What do you think it feels like when you do the same? Hospitality. Do not forget, the Scripture says, to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing. You say, how does all that work out? It works out the way the Lord leads you. That's how it works out. But we should be open and willing to entertain strangers. Now, some of you have never met one. You don't, wouldn't know a stranger if it, you walk up to them and within three seconds they're no longer a stranger. I wish I could do that. I'm glad you can. Hospitality. But especially when it comes to brothers and sisters. You say, well, well they're not strangers. Well, listen to this. This serves two purposes in the body of Christ. First, if we pursue showing love to a stranger... There are a lot of strangers, I'm doing quotations for those doing listening to the audio, a lot of strangers sitting in the same room with you right now. Well, they're not a stranger. I don't know how many times I've said something about one of you to someone, and they say, well, I have no idea who that is. Well, they've sat right across the other side of the room from you for years. Oh, my goodness. I don't even know who they are. Where do they sit? Y'all know that's how it works. If you tell me where they sit, I might know who they are. I rest my case. (laughs) And hospitality can be a vehicle for making someone who's new to the family 
feel loved and welcome. We used to have this problem years ago. We still have to some degree, but years ago we used to have this problem. People would come in this room, and they'd sit down somewhere, and they'd get up and leave when the service was over, and they wouldn't have had one person say one word to them. Sometimes I would, but see, I'm, I get paid to. And we, you know, we sent out some messages. We had one guy who sent me an email. I mean, I came to your church. I sat down. People walked by me, around me. Those circles of people clicked up and talking, and nobody said peep to me. I walked out the end of the service. Nobody still said anything to me. And I said, you know what? If I was you, I'd go to another church. I said, and here's a good one for you to go to. And he did. He went to another church, passed a friend of mine, worked out great. And then I sent an email out to those of you who were here then. I said, Look, here's what happened. And you know what? Since then, you've been better. We could get better than that. But this is about, hospitality is about going beyond ourselves to the, address the needs of someone else. Beyond ourselves. Hospitality. Well, this, again, I, I didn't want this to be a checklist, but I want us to see the entirety of what Paul's writing to this church. And I want us to understand this is not just some, as I said earlier, this is not a self-help checklist. This is the anointed, inspired Word of God, anointed by the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul to write it down. For you to read it. For me to read it. And then to allow that same Holy Spirit to teach it to us. We see the picture is the body of Christ. If we're going to demonstrate, and I said uh, sometime recently, but anyway, let your love be genuine. And I think that these verses following are a practical application of that love. I think it's an outworking of that love. I think it shows how we love one another. You don't just tell somebody you love them. You show them. How do you show them? Well, the things we talked about today and the things we'll talk about next week. Body of Christ in the earth making an impact. Kingdom of God in the earth. Amen? Amen. Stand with me.